0: Welcome to the Asia edition of Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech podcast. I'm Rachel Williamson. And I'm Karis Palmer. Every fortnight, we dissect the successes and failures of financial innovators and bring you the people at the top of their field working to disrupt banking.
1: From traditional banks doing things differently to startups navigating the unforgiving world of financial services, I'm Simon Spencer, and this is Breaking Banks Asia. Welcome to Breaking Banks Asia. I'm very pleased today to have Deborah Young, CEO of the RegTech Association with us. Um, If you want to take a moment, maybe, Deborah, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Uh, Thanks very much, and uh, thank you very much for having me. Um, So, I had an original background in uh, financial services in risk management, and so I uh, stumbled across the RegTech Association after they had just been founded. And so I reached out to them with my background in financial services, but also in industry associations and said, look, I would love to help you. That was back in 2017, where we have created uh, a non-profit association committed to accelerating uh, the adoption of RegTech and helping to create a global centre of excellence.
1: Fantastic. I read your industry perspectives report um, that came out, I think, at the end of t- two thousand twenty-three, and one of the points that it makes is there's been significant growth in RegTech. What are you seeing? I think that in the report it said thirty-six percent, you know, experienced more than thirty percent growth. Yeah, you know, that's significant growth at this time. Um, what do you think is driving that?
0: Uh, well, I think we are actually almost entering into this perfect storm. When we established in 2017, there was significant um, dysfunction happening. And I think what's actually happened is that there is greater education, there is greater understanding. And that is not just of the reg tech solutions that are in play, but there's greater understanding by institutions of how to uh, adopt uh, the reg tech. Uh, but I think that there's greater recognition by the regulators. And at the end of the day, the regulators are kind of sitting at the top of, of like a tree. The institutions are sitting below the regulators trying to adhere to uh, the the rules and the laws, and then the regtechs are actually then uh, trying to spread their joy across both of those groups to show what's possible. And over the – so I think all of this is aiding uh, the wind beneath the wings and the success of regtech um, companies around the world. Very
1: cool. Very cool. So um, in terms of products and services, you know, so reg – uh, I think you know we've discussed in the past. You know, is a broad church. There's a lot in it. You know, you know, you've got you know, you've, the regs around privacy and around data, around ethics, around capital management. But what sort of products and services are you seeing most in demand by regulators?
0: Number one, regulatory reporting. Probably no surprises in that. Our second one was ESG reporting, and the third. There were two that followed that in the top three, and that was process automation. And then AML uh, CTF applications. Really interesting that we're starting to see um, ESG reporting um, come up. Is what RegTech and SupTech vendors are being asked to supply, and where they're being asked to develop their products is around ESG reporting. So that's a new kid on the on the block.
1: Mm, Very interesting. Mm. Um, What about cyber resilience? Do you see that starting to emerge also as an area of regulatory interest?
0: Yes, absolutely. So. Late last year, we embarked upon our our global roadshow, which covers uh, New York, Washington DC, uh, UK, um, Singapore, and uh, the APAC region. So we did a, a global roadshow, and I interviewed uh, a number of global regulators. And the top three items that uh, rose to the top were cybersecurity, uh, were AML, CTF, and sanctions, and the third one was applications, um, and safety and trust around generative AI.
1: Now, I noticed that in your report, you note out that the majority of reg techs have fewer than 100 employees, and it's a very broad church of sort of problems and areas that reg tech covers. Um, do you see that being a long-term, sustainable way forward? Lots of small companies trying to solve um problems, or do you think that you know, five years from now, we might be looking at a reg tech landscape that's considerably more consolidated?
0: There will be some consolidation. We're also seeing some models emerge where um, a reg tech is actually bolting on through a series of APIs, a number of services so that the institution just has a single, um, a single view of their risks so through a series of APIs, the different solutions are sitting behind one single platform. So we may see a little bit more in that space. So the emergence
1: uh, of a the emergence of a sort of a reg tech fabric.
0: Like an aggregator, you know, yep. so it's so it's all the things that an institution might need. Um, that will sit behind a single interface. So that RegTech, for example, has taken on the burden of negotiating with maybe eight different solutions that actually sit behind their platform, uh, but they give the institution a single single license and they then uh, get access to all of of those uh, products and services that are sitting behind uh, that solution. So, that could be another way that we see the industry evolve over time. We are seeing more and more consulting firms also are creating their own solutions. So, less about individual reg techs and more about going to one of the big companies who are actually developing um, their own, uh, which is why, with interest, we watch metrics around things like buy versus build and what people's appetite what institutions and regulators appetite are around those things are, are an indicator on whether they're focused on buying SaaS solutions or whether they're going to go to one of the big uh, consulting firms and use their advisory capacity to advise them and then back that up with uh, solutions of their own and just in terms of your the the discussion around small organizations that is very true our organization um, has members from about 100 reg tech companies from around the world. Most of them are SMEs. We deliberately want to nurture, but have annexed our startups. And the reason we segregate them from the SME businesses is that we want to nurture those companies uh, to be bank and financial institution and regulator ready. And so, we deliberately, when we started the association, only invited scale-up companies and beyond to join because we needed people that had a proposition for a bank, um, yep. you know, straight away. Yeah.
1: I was reading yesterday uh, some of the conversations coming out of the inquiry going on in, in New South Wales around professional services and and particularly some sort of ethical behaviours. And, and it was covering the question around conflicts of interests. Um, and... You know, the, the, some of the, the inherent conflicts that are built into the consulting model, particularly if you're an accounting firm. I would imagine that the RegTech Association provides a very useful way for a professional services organization um, to, to navigate some of those potential conflicts. Are you seeing sort of your conversations with professional services firms helping provide that independence?
0: So I would say in response to that, uh, when we set out what I'm about to outline, we didn't have that in mind because it was probably prior to this uh, current inquiry. To your point, professional services offer a broad range of products and services out there to their customer bases. And given that most of them, you know, uh, started off in audit and most of them offered that audit function as well as a whole host of other things, what we recognised was And it was probably for different reasons, but we've been very careful to ensure that professional services firms join the association under a different style of membership. So we have four main membership categories one is for startups, one is for reg techs, the other one is for corporates. So whether you are a service provider or or whether you are a bank, you would join under that corporate category. But where you are actually acting as a bit of a hybrid model, Where you are advising clients, but you are also selling solutions, we wanted to make that crystal clear. Mm -hmm. So we've separated all of those players out into a different category called corporate reg tech. So there is this sense of when uh, we're entertaining one of those big firms that they are not only advising clients, but they're also selling a solution. So that is really patently clear to everybody at Mm -hmm. the outset. And that way we did that to actually differentiate them, but also to recognize that obviously if most of our members are SMEs who do not have access to large marketing departments and PR and all of the other things with, you know, and, and slick PowerPoint decks, we wanted recognition and separation of, of them in their approach if they've got reg tech solutions to sell. So we kind of did it for that reason. Makes complete sense.
1: Hmm. Who's the ultimate beneficiary of RegTech? Do consumers care, or do they care yeah. enough?
0: It's a great, it's a great question. So here, here would be my nuanced um, response to that. So your mum and dad and my mum and dad don't actually, in my view, don't need to know what RegTech is. However, RegTech actually brings the layer of trust and better product productivity and efficiency by those that use it. And so really what that means is, is if an institution has uh, got good cyber security, good IT security, better access to real-time data around their risks and, and managing of those risks, is able to effectively report those to the regulator Um, is is actually pivoting away from lots of manual spreadsheets that are kept goodness knows where. If they're looking after all of those things using uh, great reg tech and the regulator is using great technology with which to analyse and monitor their uh, regulated institutions, then I think the system is safer. The institutions are able to uh, get better products and safer products and services faster out to their customers in a highly competitive environment, I might add. And so the byproduct is is that our mums and dads can walk around having having some trust in who they are dealing with. So whether that be their bank, their real estate agent, um, or their law firm, whomever it is, RegTech can actually be applied in all of those industries. So, for example, that can have a relationship with any business, anytime, anywhere. Are you paying your employees according to the law? Do you actually know who your employees are and have they told you the truth? Do they have the right to work in your country, Um, especially with employees that you've never met? So you you will see much more coming out of the RegTech Association around this theme of consumer protection because regulators care about consumer protection. The writing's on the wall with the institutions where we're hearing from them that the number one reason that they are adopting RegTech as they are at the moment is, is to protect to their customers and consumers. And that is great news for RegTech vendors because ultimately, even though the bank may be the customer for them, the absolute customer for the regulator and the bank itself is, is their customers and consumers more broadly.
1: We've seen some evidence of this extending beyond just consumers to investors or even employees who are thinking about where they want to work, particularly yeah. in the, when you think about climate credentials and and where do I want to put my super money and and what sort of companies are you know behaving in in ethical ways? Do you think that's going to continue? And do you think that you know the regtech will all, will go beyond just supporting government to actually now providing the sort of transparency? that actually many of us would like to have around the companies we interact with, whether we buy from them, whether we work at them, whether we think about investing in their stock uh, or whether we think as a, as a citizen, we worry about the capital adequacy and the the, the potential risks of those organisations. So do you see that broadening to being beyond just um, government and, and sort of end consumers?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, the emergence over the last decade of ESG and and if we just start the conversation by talking about investors, investors all care very deeply around ESG because they're bound by international principles around uh, that put out by, for example, the United Nations, but also, when you think about regtechs, um, then this opens up a whole new opportunity for conversations within their client base. And if I can just put some context around that, for example, so as a regtech firm, I might actually look at you know a framework for ESG and work out as a business where I fit within that, and can I answer these hard questions of the next um, investor that comes my way? Can I answer the questions that they're going to ask me? Ask me. Uh, but secondly. Uh, going to one of your points there around how do I broaden out that conversation so that it resonates with the the bank who is my customer, and then on to one of the other points you raised is that the younger generations coming through today, and I know even for my own children who range in age from late 20s to early 30s, are absolutely choosing uh, their vendors based on social reasons right what is their uh, commitment to you know trafficking and modern slavery and so all companies everywhere need to start thinking about the changing consumer and how they're going to be able to meet that and state those credentials without greenwashing so these are clear indicators that that the consumers of tomorrow are going to change and we need to understand what their needs and wants are. And everybody, you know, better have those credentials at the fore because the new generations today will be deciding based on other things other than what we may have traditionally done. So, for example, it might not be on price alone. It may be on price, you know. So, yeah, the the consumer is definitely changing.
1: And becoming more sophisticated. So, really aggressive marketing campaigns about your, your credentials may not be enough. You may need to be able to prove it or show evidence of it and certify those credentials rather than just claim them.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yep. Just shifting gear a little bit, um, in terms of, I been a lot of conversations around the world, around AI and AI regulation, uh, I will disclose that I have a, you know, I do work in the, in the field and, and I have an opinion that probably you and I may not agree on. So, this could be an interesting conversation. I feel like the focus is going heavy on AI regulation. I can understand the reasons behind it. But can you share with me your thoughts around AI regulation and where you see it going over the next sort of six, 12 months in particular?
0: So, maybe we're not going to disagree as much as you think. <laughs> we have to find, uh, we understand the reasons for regulation. And it's there to protect uh, people that we've just been talking about. Yes. Um, however, there has to be a balance. There has to be a balance, right? Because I'm sure that it was inconceivable 20 years ago that we were able to plug a question into a computer and that it was going to give us an answer. And mm. whether that answer was right or not um, is, is another matter. But you know, we've been using Google for a long time and AI as a concept itself, as you would know, is, is not a new concept. I think the new kid on the block is generative AI. and I think why everybody's got excited about that is because it's gone into the hands of the children. Yeah. So everybody's using it. but my personal view is that we need we need to strike a balance. And what I can tell you from the conversations that I've had with institutions and regulators, every single one of them, are reasonably positive about it. They are risk averse, of course. So careful, considered, but all of them are trialing it. All of them are it's, trialing it and testing and piloting. So that would say to me is that they are seeing some value or are needing to understand the risks more deeply. And what I can also say as evidence that stuff is actually happening, a couple of our regtech vendors are, in fact, um, already using generative AI in their in their product rollouts. So they're already using it. Can I share a really old-fashioned anecdote? Listen. However However many years ago was it that we got the internet? Do you remember? 25 years ago?
1: Yeah, sort of 1993, 1994, exactly. 95
0: So my boss at the time, and
1: that's the web, not the internet, because that goes back another two decades. But yes.
0: Right, okay, so the web. Um, so my boss put a terminal in the middle of the office and said, this terminal has the, in inverted commas, the internet. Uh, you have to book a time if you want to go on to that, but the time is restricted to, and I can't remember what the time was restricted to, but let's say it was 20 minutes. So each of you can't have more than 20 minutes bookable time on this thing because the greatest fear was, oh, my goodness, people are going to be surfing the internet for all kinds of things like holidays and social activities and it won't be work-related and goodness knows what's on this internet anyway. Like goodness knows. And so, you know, there you go, 25 years ago we that was a form of regulation, if you like. We were just restricting the computer <laughs> yes. use of the computer because uh, it wasn't in anybody's homes or anything else at that point. So that was a form of regulation back then, where that was just a knee-jerk reaction on how we're going to control this, how we're going to control it. To fast-forward today, so it would seem inconceivable, but that now that all of us use the internet every day and how we actually. Are moving money, how we are interacting, communicating, we are buying goods and services, all kinds of stuff, right? It was inconceivable 25 years ago. So I think the same thing around generative AI. We never used to use Wikipedia either, you know, because nobody trusted it. Uh, But it's arguable some Wikipedia is probably better than, you know, word of mouth. We would trust more what somebody said then we would trust something that's been cited with references. And so I think we're on an evolution. I remain actually reasonably upbeat around the future of, in particular, generative AI. I mean, AI has been around a long long time and all of us are using it every day without even realising it. Yep. Does that differ from your point of view?
1: No, I think uh, we are in in furious agreement on these things. Um, I think it is about getting the balance right. It is about setting up some basic guardrails. It is about creating a level of transparency. Um, Here in this country, in Australia, I think we have uh, the long shadow of robo-debt that I think was horrendous and awful and a systemic failure at so many levels. And that wasn't AI. That was a very simple set of algorithms uh, compared to AI. And I think that long shadow has probably made people um, probably hyper-aware, which is a good thing. Um, yeah. and, and But I think also it is about looking for that opportunity for innovation. Um, I'm a strong proponent of a multi-model approach around AI rather than the tendency to say I'm going to use Copilot or, or GPT for my, for my uh, source of truth. I think that's always uh, somewhat fraught. Um, but I think, you know, the regulatory element of AI I think will be very important, how we do it in a way that is um, doesn't stifle innovation, but it does create the guardrails so that people don't drive off the road and go and, and, and go overland and to places they really shouldn't in, in case in and then explore use cases that are that are not constructive to human well being.
0: Well, there you go. So we are good friends after all. We are. Okay. I knew we would be. <laughs>
1: Look, that's, that's all I've got time for at this stage. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to share um, around REG or any observations you have uh, so you can take us out today?
0: You know, we're really going to talk a lot this year about consumer protection. This really is making sure that the system is stable and safe for everyone. And so REG tech and supervisory tech solutions have a massive role to play in helping, um, in helping that to happen. Uh, so thank you very much for having me today. It's been uh, delightful.
1: Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you about REG and all things around this. So Thank you very much. If you enjoyed today's episode of Breaking Banks Asia, don't forget to share it on Twitter, leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to our show. This helps us build our audience And support our sponsors so we can continue to bring you a great show every fortnight.